Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I really believe that God has laid a message on my heart that's going to uh, encourage you if you are a follower of Jesus and hopefully um, speak to you as well uh, if you're not. And uh, so I, I want to speak to you this morning a little bit around this idea of a living hope, a living hope. Look at your neighbor and say, a living hope. Look at your second choice and say, a living hope. Now tell yourself, I need a living hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you as we jump into your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would uh, just use me as a vessel for your glory, God. Um, we don't just celebrate Resurrection Sunday on, uh, just on Easter uh, once a year, Lord. But as a follower of Jesus, we celebrate this reality every single day of our life. And we're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful that you are a God of your word. You really are not just a promise maker, but a promise keeper. And so, Father, I pray that as we uh, open up your word today, God, that you would speak to our hearts. And, uh, Lord, we don't take even this time of gathering uh, for granted. As we know, many people will gather across the globe today, some in secret. Uh, some are going to be able to be out in public. But we're grateful for uh, the privileges that we have here in the States to worship in freedom. And uh, so I just ask, God, that it would be a special time at the A45. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I had a question for you this morning. Has anybody ever asked somebody a question and got a real answer? You know, you know, like you actually asked somebody how they were doing and they told you how they were doing. Like they started to go into just different things in their life that are wrong. They started talking about their kids or maybe their health. Uh, maybe they started going into how frustrating it is on their job. And in your mind you're thinking, oh, no. I really didn't want to know how you were. I was just trying to say hi, but now that you're giving me a real answer, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do with this. You know, I, I think when it comes to difficult things in life, I, I think we can find ourselves a little uncomfortable talking about the tough stuff. We can find ourselves a little uncomfortable talking about some of the realities that all of us face, but not a lot of times want to talk about. And, and I wonder if we get uncomfortable we're talking about some of the tough stuff. I, I wonder if it's because we're a little bit confused by it. Meaning we really don't know how to respond to people going through trials and difficulty. We really aren't sure what we're to say. Like the good things are easy to navigate. Come on, Tiger won another jacket. That's easy to talk about. It's inspiring and there's so many different avenues you could take. When things are, are going well, it's easy to navigate. It's easy to talk about those things. But when somebody says, man, I just lost my mom, or it, what do you say to that stuff? And the sad part is, is we love talking about the good stuff. We don't really like talking about the bad stuff. But the truth is we're all going to face it at one point or another. We're all going to find ourselves in moments where we're going through tough stuff. That we need to talk about, but because it confuses us and we're really not sure what to do and it makes us uncomfortable, what do we do in those moments? A lot of times we do what a lot of people do or uh, respond the way a lot of people respond. And that's when we start, you know, asking questions like, God, where are you? God, are you going to show up? <laughs> like, are you sure you're even there? We start to, to throw out some of these, these questions to try to make sense of, of what we're going through. And, man, this stuff even happens to pastors. Like, this week, man, was a tough week. I, uh, I, I woke up on Monday morning, and my entire family had a fever. 
like my whole family. And it's Easter week, but we thought, okay, Mondays are making memories Monday, but we were going to make memories at home, hanging out, doctoring up. And, uh, and so no big deal. It's Monday, still a lot of week left. It's Easter. It's a big week for us around here in the church world. And, and Tuesday comes, and I wake up, still have a fever, 102.5, just continued. Third day, woke up, fever. Thursday, woke up, fever. You know, at that point, you start to, to, to wonder a little bit. You start to throw up questions, even as a pastor to God, like, like this. Hey, God, uh, you forget I work for you, man? I guess Thursday, and I haven't been able to do anything. So grateful we have a great team. So grateful we have a good team that's just handling business and taking care of stuff. I'm so grateful it doesn't all rest on Jackie and I. And, uh, and so then I, I finally start to feel better on Thursday. My fever breaks around noon. And, and the doctor, you know, we love doctors around here. We have doctors at a 10 Fountain Church. And, but, but sometimes it's hard to believe what they say. You know, you show up and it's like, hey, doc, man, I, I've had a fever for four days, man. I, I don't even know if I'm really here. Am I here? Are you here? I, I'm feeling a little bit out of it. And they tell you things like this. Oh, man, it's okay. It's, it's, it's got to run its course. Just get some rest. Just lie down and get some rest and drink some fluids and, and you'll be fine. Like, that's it? Just lie down and get some rest. I've been doing it for four days, drinking a lot of fluids. It's just hard to believe sometimes. You know, I could imagine the disciples on the day that Jesus was being crucified, some scattered, some were, were gazing upon the cross. In the moment where all their hopes were disintegrating, all of their dreams were dissipating, all of their possibilities were being, you know, seemed utterly impossible at this time. And, and I'm sure they were asking questions just like we were. Like, man, it just wasn't supposed to happen like this. God, where, where are you? Surely you're going to do something, right? Like, what's going what's gonna to transpire? You just can't let it, you just can't go out like this, Jesus. What is going on? But they didn't realize what was happening. Jesus told them over and over and over, hey, guys, I'm going to suffer at the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they would just, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like lay down and drink some fluids. And you're like, oh, I just. And so it actually happens. And they're just, they're, they're flabbergasted. They just don't know what to make of it. If you're taking notes, jot this down. They didn't know that Jesus had to lay down his life to give us the living hope. And that on the third day, he would rise again. The writer of Hebrews talks about this, this living hope as an anchor for our souls. And what's interesting is, I, I don't know if you've ever been uh, hiking or mountain climbing. Anybody ever been mountain climbing? Well, if you're extreme enough to, to try this stuff, you know, hey, I just want to hang from a side of a cliff today. Sounds like a great plan. Beat up my body and risk my life. Let's do it. It sounds like something I would do. But, but there's these things called anchors. Let me show you a picture. There's these, these, these things called anchors that as you're, you're hanging from the cliff, you want to make sure that you're anchored to the rock. And the anchor is made up of, of three sub-anchors with one main anchor that would attach you to the three anchors that are attached to the rock. And the resurrection is that for us as followers of Jesus. It is the main anchor. It is, it is what allows us to be attached to the living God, to have a living hope. Because the truth of the matter is this, is if Jesus really rose from the dead, 
then it's all true. Everything that he claimed to be the only way to God, everything that he spoke, even validation of the scriptures, if Jesus rose from the dead, then it's all true. You see, Jesus just didn't save us from our sins, but into a living hope by way of the resurrection. And there's so much proof and evidence that Jesus not only was who we said that, that he was, but there's so much evidence of the resurrection, and I encourage you to go out and search it. The only reason why I think many people don't go out and search for the evidence is because they really don't want to find Jesus. Like, like, I'm okay with a Jesus that wants to bless me, but I'm not okay with a Jesus that wants to change me. And if I discover that he's really alive, then I got to deal with my sin. I got to deal with my life and figure out, man, what is going to happen here? But there's so much evidence, so I encourage you to go, go and look at that. But, but I want to give you three anchors today in light of this main anchor, in light of the resurrection, in light of this, this anchor that attaches us to the rock, to a living hope. But I, I'm going to give you three anchors of hope that, that I'm hoping will encourage you, I'm hoping will challenge you a little bit. And the, and the first one is this, if you're taking notes, jot this down, is that eternity can affect our temporary. That because Jesus rose from the dead, eternity can now affect our temporary. Let me explain. Peter says this in 1 Peter verse one, or chapter 1, verse 6. He says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. If I were to go around with a microphone right now to, to each and every one of you, and I just ask the question, hey, tell me some of the grief that you're facing right now. Some of the, tell me some of the troubles. Tell me some of the difficulty. Tell me some of the trials that you're going through. You're going to hear griefs of, a, a, of various kinds. Because we're all in a different season of life. We're all going through different things. We're all wrestling through different pains. And, and you'd be astonished that some of the people that you're sitting next to might really be going through it. Others of us, this may be kind of a decent season, nothing really, you know, pressing so much, maybe just some difficulty here and there. But there would be griefs of all, of all kinds. And the truth of the matter is, is um, we're all going to go through stuff in this life. We're all going to go through pain. We're all going to go through difficulty. Some of you guys are like, Matt, can you be a little bit more positive? It's Easter. Well, okay, I'm positive you're going to go through pain. I'm positive you're going to go through some difficulty. I'm positive that life gets tough. It's just the reality. But Peter says that in this you can greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. This, this word, these words combined in the Greek, greatly rejoice, it means to like, like a jubilant dance. Like it means like running man status in the middle of your trial. It means like, like you're so ecstatic, you're so filled with joy, and it's like, Peter, this just seems to be contradicting that, that we can have this this surpassing joy, this greatly rejoicing in the midst of our grief. Well, to understand what Peter's talking about, he says, in this, in what? Let's go back to verse 3. He says this. It says, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Continue. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter is essentially saying that, listen, there, there is, is a reality that heaven is not just 
like some uh, ethereal, mystical place that, that God is actually preparing a place for us. Jesus said it himself, I go to prepare a place for you. That heaven really is a reality and there's an inheritance that God has in store for us. An inheritance that will never perish, that will never spoil, that will never fade. And it's not just this big house in heaven, but it's a body that will never get sick. It's, it's a body that is restored and brand new. It's uh, no longer tainted by sin. There's no longer the struggle or bound um, or, or feelings of, of wrestling with the corruption that you and I face and experience and see today. It, it's, it's, a, it's a glorified inheritance. And Peter said, man, it's, it's really possible for you to live in such a way, not where you're denying your griefs. The Bible never tells us to ignore our pain. The Bible never tells us to just push it aside or not deal with it. That, it the Bible actually speaks to the opposite, that God wants to heal our pain, that God wants to restore us, that God wants to deal with that stuff. But Peter is saying that it is possible to be so overwhelmed by eternity that that reality overwhelms our temporary our temporary circumstances, that we're so overwhelmed by eternity, by what God has in store for us, by, by, by what is promised to us. It's, it's this sense of, man, I just know that I know that I know that no matter what I'm going through now, compared to what's in store, it gives me the strength and the perspective to deal with it with great joy. But it doesn't always feel that way. In fact, many times I think it feels like our, our current griefs or our griefs of all sorts, it seems like many times that perspective begins to overwhelm the reality of eternity for us. Would you guys agree? It seems like the moment something difficult strikes, all of a sudden that seems so overwhelming that it begins to distort our perspective of eternity. And, and I think the reason for that is, is eternity isn't just a destination later, but it's a relationship now. Look, look what John says, John chapter 17. John says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John says, listen, eternity isn't just about a destination later, but a relationship now. And the closer that you and I are to Jesus, the closer that we begin to build this intimate life and walk with Christ, and we start to understand his word at a grander level. We start to understand what it means to fellowship and to be with him and to know his love and his joy. Uh, it's, it's where you and I come and we lay down our life to him through trust and obedience. It's in this place, it's in this relationship that all of a sudden eternity doesn't seem so far-fetched. But it, it almost seems more real than what we're facing today. It, it just overwhelms it. The closer and the depth of this relationship that we have with Jesus, it begins to overwhelm the temporary griefs so that we're able to put things in proper perspective. It's like a two-year-old or a three-year-old coming up to you and saying, hey, you big dummy. Right? Like if a three-year-old were to say that to my little Hannah... Hannah would probably push him over. Like, you're not calling me a big dummy, right? She'd probably push him over. But for us, it, it would be humorous because we're seen from a whole different perspective. It, it would be humorous because 
our gaze and our understanding is far beyond what's being said or what's being spoken. Are you, are you tracking with me? We can process through it properly. I love how um, Dallas Willard said it. He said, we should be walking so close with Jesus. When we get to heaven, it should take us a moment to recognize if we're there or not. And I know this can seem a little bit far-fetched, so let me bring this closer to home. Let me introduce you to a man by the name of Michael, a young college student that just graduated seminary, uh, him and his wife, uh, seminary in China. And as you can see, they're overlooking and spending their honeymoon uh, in the Middle East, in the village of Iraq, where they've chosen to give their life. They've chosen to serve refugees in, in a village that's been overwhelmed by ISIS. What in the world makes somebody say, hey, honey, we got the Bahamas. We can go battle ISIS. Um, Caribbean. Like, What makes somebody want to spend their honeymoon and go and move, uproot their life and go and live in a place where it's, you know, death is, is almost certain. Prison is inevitable. Like what makes somebody do that? It's when, it's when eternity begins to overwhelm the temporary. It's when a relationship is so deep and intimate and close. His response when reporters asked, why are you doing this? He said, it's really not a big deal. It's just the right thing to do. Why? Because eternity has overwhelmed the temporary. It doesn't matter the various trials they're going to face. Why? Because they're living in light of eternity. They're living with an anchor of a living hope on their soul that said, man, we're willing to lay it all down for Jesus and for these people who can offer us nothing and risk everything. Because eternity has overwhelmed the temporary. See, the resurrection not only gives us this hope that the eternity can affect our temporary, but number two, if you're taking notes, jot this down, is that a, it, it reminds us that a price has been paid and a love displayed. That, that Jesus really did pay for our sins. The resurrection screams that it's true. Because that's what Jesus said, I, I've come to die, I've come to lay everything down, I've come to give my life that you might be forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. The resurrection screams now, that's true. That a price has been paid. But, but not only of, of what Jesus did on the cross, but look at Isaiah 61. It also means that what he came to do was true. It says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Continue. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It's that everything that Jesus came to do, the resurrection validates and says it's true and it's available. See, let me, let me show you something. You guys know what this is? Yes, it's a receipt. Not just any receipt, though. This is a Costco receipt. 
come on, you know, this is gold right here. Costco has like the best return policy on the planet. But, but, but as you leave their store, they always want to make sure that a price has been paid. A receipt is, is a guarantee that you have paid for the goods that you're getting ready to extract, that you're getting ready to take out of the building. And the resurrection is, is, is a receipt. It's a receipt that says, yep, the debt has been paid in full. It's true. See, before the resurrection, somebody just paid a price of crucifixion. After the resurrection, it confirms the debt has been paid for all of us who would believe. And you, you, you got to get this picture in your mind because uh, I think the beauty of a receipt, it, it just doesn't show that something has been paid for, but it allows you to exchange things when they're broken. Like Costco, again, they, you can bring back furniture from like 10 years ago. Like you can pull up with a U-Haul and unload everything you bought 10 years ago, and they will say, no problem. We'll take it back. Don't be shady or get any ideas. It's like, man, I'm moving today. But Costco will do that. And you can go and you can say, man, this vacuum, it's, it's supposed to work. It's broke, but not. Can I exchange it? And the beauty of the resurrection, the beauty of this receipt allows us to come and say, hey, Lord, I'm broken. And I need to exchange this for some wholeness because the price was paid. Like, like I, I'm, I'm in some pain, and Lord, I need some healing. Can I exchange this pain? H how about this, Lord? I've been stuck in some sin. I need to exchange this for some righteousness that only comes by you, not from me. It's, it's, it's a great exchange. And in those moments where we're, we're suffering and we're trying to navigate through life, man, we can come and we can say, man, a price has been paid. I have a living hope and a love displayed. I can't think of a greater love that's been displayed than what Christ has done for you and I on the cross. That's a message to me, I'm sorry, but it never gets old to me, never gets childish. Matter of fact, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you want to lean into that reality, the beauty of it. See, see the, the, the worser the news that you realize when it comes to your own personal heart, the greater the news the cross starts to become. And, and I think it's, it's so incredible because, you know, they say that love can actually be measured by distance. By how far you're willing to travel to go somewhere. Like, like for instance, I, I love Shake Shack. But it's in Palo Alto. Like, if it was in Hayward, I would probably drive. But, but across the bay for a hamburger and a milkshake, like, I love it, but I don't love it that much. I'm not willing to go that distance. And here over 2,000 years ago, God steps out of eternity. Let's talk about distance. Out of eternity into bodily form through his son Jesus and travels from the throne to the tomb because of love. He travels from the throne to the tomb. He he. He goes from a place of fullness and travels to a place of utter emptiness, a place of ultimate light to a place of utter darkness, a place where breath 
has created all things to deciding to breathe his last. A love that has gone the distance. But what that means for us practically, I mean, think about this. The price has been paid and a love has been displayed, a living hope that we have because Jesus rose from the grave. What this means is that it's real love. It's not just a story or some well in, uh, a well-intended teacher. No, it means that this love is absolutely for real. And do you know how that affects my identity and your identity? In a world where, you know, your, 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 your value is determined by your portfolio, by how many friends or likes you have on Instagram or Facebook, right, by, by what your status is, by how much you can accumulate, by how well put together you can, you can personify yourself. And listen, some of us have, have been on that treadmill and it's exhausting. And the beauty that this love is real says that we don't need any longer to find our identity in those types of things. We don't need to find our, our value from what the world says. We don't need to find our value from how many likes we get. Because this love is for real. This love is for real. And so, so, so what that means for you and I, there's nothing wrong with being filthy rich. There's nothing wrong with being popular. There's nothing wrong with being famous. There's nothing wrong with having a big portfolio. It's just those things were never meant to define you and never meant to be worshipped. And so, so, so what does that mean? It means that because this love is real... It means that what Christ says about you and I is also for real. That God so desperately loves you. Everybody look at me. God so desperately loves you. And the cross screams, the resurrection screams that you matter to him. That you no longer need to be defined by any of those things, but rather be defined by what he's done and by what he said. That you're worth it. That is a freedom that is so longed for by a generation that is enslaved to things that will never satisfy. It's a freedom. It's a joy. A price has been paid. Love has been displayed. Some of you need to exchange some things today. And the last one is this. The last one is that because Jesus rose from the dead, your story is not over. And I'll have Elvis come up and play for me wherever he's at. Your story is not over. I, I want to take you back to Scotland for a moment. I'll show you a picture of St. Andrew's Cathedral. Now, St. Andrew's Cathedral was, really they had the concept of it in the 1200s. They started to build it in the, the late 1200s. Uh, it was consecrated in uh, the 1300s. And then 60 years later afterwards, it was burned to the ground. 60 years later. And you know what they did? They, they rebuilt it. And then it tumbled again. And then they rebuilt it. And it got torn down again. Then they rebuilt it. And it got torn down again. Then they rebuilt it. And they, it got torn down again. Finally, they said in the, six, in the 1600s, they said, we're not building it anymore. We're going to leave it just like this. 
I don't know what's going to happen with Notre Dame. I, I don't know if anybody's heard if they decided to, to rebuild or not. But St. Andrews, they said, no, we're just going to leave it just like this. And, and, and I thought that for some of us, this is a great picture of our lives where it just feels sometimes a little bit exhausting. Like we've been trying to build and then it just gets torn down. And trying to get out of debt, then another bill comes in, right? I'm trying to, trying to get this relationship right and then I made another mistake. And it's just... And I felt like the Lord wanted me to remind both believers and unbelievers alike of this reality of Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And it's simply this, that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you as a follower of Jesus. To all who believe, to all who have put their trust in Jesus. Let me just, just let that sink in for a moment, that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Resurrection power. And you know what's so incredible about that? Is the Holy Spirit is a master builder. He never gets exhausted. He never gets weary. Some of you guys have felt like a project to God. God is not tired of you. God is not worn out with you. God is pursuing you. He's the master builder. He takes mistakes and he makes masterpieces. That's just who he is. I'm reminded of a story of Ian Padawinski, the famous pianist, as he went to go and perform on his grand piano. One of the grandest performances. A kid sneaks up onto his piano. Some of you guys may have saw a commercial. It's a true story, though. A kid sneaks up and starts playing chopsticks on the piano. And everybody is like, what is this kid doing? Like, the orchestrator of everything was like, get this kid off. Like, what's... And he's just... And his mom is like, oh, Lord. And rather than making a big scene, Ian just comes up and he sees and he just kind of smiles. And he whispers in the kid's ear, keep playing. And he comes on his chopsticks and he just... He begins to lay a masterpiece top of his mistake. He's a master builder. That's, that's what he does. It was over, standing applause, everybody was blown away, the kid's just excited, he lifts up the kid, and the kid's like, best moment of his life, then he probably got a whooping it and a spanking when he got home. Soak it up, kid, because it's coming. But that's the God that we serve. Your story is not over. Because he's alive, your story is not over. Listen, not even death will have the final say because God says, I got another chapter. Your story is not over. I know you've been single for a while, but there's another chapter. I know you've been wrestling in your marriage for a while, but listen, we serve a God who's a great author. And it's not over. The resurrection screams, it's not over. It's not over goes on to say in Isaiah 61 he says he says they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor God wants to make you firm and sturdy and rooted we're living in crazy times but but these times as crazy as they are, as they are there's so much opportunity because people are dying and desperate for truth and for hope for life 
He says, man, I want to make you oaks of righteousness. I want you to make you a display for my splendor. Look what he says. He says, I want to do such a work inside of you that they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That God just doesn't want to just write another chapter in your book, but God wants to restore you in such a way that it brings him glory, that you're going out and rebuilding in his name with his power, ruins of generations. It's the God that we serve. Love him or hate him, but it's the truth. And don't take my word for it. You go do the homework. It's truth. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. I'm sure your life is just awesome. My life is awesome. I'm so grateful, but it's far from perfect. Like, like, if I could just be honest with you, when I first started following Jesus, man, I wrestled with anxiety so badly for three years. Like, I thought you come to God, everything's supposed to get all better, but I didn't realize that Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. See, all of us, we feel the brokenness of the world. We feel that sense of, oh my goodness, what is going on? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you feel that. You, feel that. you, you sense that. As you look out into the world, you feel the gravity of that. And what you're feeling and experiencing in that moment is, is the fracture of the universe as a result of sin entering humanity through Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden. And you say to yourself, there's got to be more to life than this. So I'm not saying you come to Jesus and all your problems are going to go away. I'm just saying you have an anchor for your soul in the midst of all of this mess and power to overcome in the middle of it. So, wrestled with anxiety severely. It was so bad, I lost one of my jobs. I'm thinking like, hey God, what's going on? You know, I've been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. It just means my immune system is compromised and the doctor says there's no cure. I'm believing that God can heal me. I'm believing that God will heal me. But guess what? I'm still in the thick of it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not walking on water in that spot, right? I, I still have struggles, and I can go down a list, a long list of, of lines of, of where my life is far from perfect, but here's the difference, is that my life is awesome because I have a living hope, not because I'm awesome, not because circumstances are awesome, but because I have a hope that transcends circumstances. I have a hope where eternity affects my temporary. I have a hope where I know that a price has been paid and that a love has been displayed, that my identity is secure, that my future is bright, and that no matter what is coming, that my story is not over. Because he's alive. Because he is risen. That's the truth. And so I'm not offering you a perfect life. I'm offering you a perfect God and a living hope in the midst of this world where God can transform your life in such a way and even use you to rebuild ancient ruins.